The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, will you help? What a great ministry Temple Bible Church does. Impact Bible Club is the largest church-wide endeavor that we do every year. And teenagers are amazing. For over two decades, well over two decades, teenagers from Temple Bible Church have shared the gospel all over our city. They're going to do it again this year, but it takes over 100 adult volunteers as well. Could your neighborhood hear the gospel because you're a host home? Could you be a driver? Could you be an outreach host at a park or apartment complex? Could you bring food? And if you do, you get the privilege of watching teenagers make much of Jesus Christ in our city. It's just a wonderful opportunity. You can sign up online to volunteer for Impact. You can also grab a card out in the back in the lobby. There's a high top table with a banner that says Impact Bible Clubs. Really hard to miss. Grab one of those cards and see how God might use your family as part of this family as we share Christ with people. But one more thing I have to tell you before we dive in the Word. Do not pull out your phones and start bidding. But our Missions Garage Sale silent auction goes live at noon. Really, probably for all of y'all, 1215, please, okay? <laughs> but, but that goes live. You can bid on, on items we have there to help our local and global partners. Well, today we're finishing a series called That You May Believe in First, Second, and Third John. Before we look in the Word, I, I want to ask you, you have dreams and hopes. If you have kids, you have dreams and hopes for your kids. Uh, I, I said last hour twice that we have four kids. We actually have five. My wife corrected me there after that. But listen, I, I stopped counting after the third one, okay? So we got five kids, and, and we met this young man who wanted to marry our daughter. And you, you think, what sort of person is my child going to marry? And we were so excited to meet him. And this is, this is him. <laughs> well, what a gem. His name is Danner. He says it's like Tanner, but with a D. And we, we love puzzles in our family. So when we all get together, we usually put together a puzzle. This was around Christmas time because we feel like nothing says happy birthday Jesus better than a six foot four adopted elf movie, right? <laughs> well, we're putting together this puzzle over Christmas, and we cannot find the last piece. We get down to about 10 pieces, and it's this mixture of green we can't figure out, but we look, and we've only got nine. And so we are simultaneously putting these together and looking. We lift the whole puzzle up, look under it. We look in the box. We look on the floor, uh, on the stools beneath our, our little counter, thinking maybe one of our little kids even ate it. Who knows, you know? Well, about 15 minutes after we finished the puzzle, Danner had gone into another room and he comes out and the whole time he'd had that last puzzle piece in his pocket. He just pulls it out, smiles, walks over and puts it in. And uh, we told our daughter she had married a jerk, you know. <laughs> John, over 1 John, 2 John and 3 John, he's kind of putting together a puzzle and in 1 John, he writes to several churches, and he says, I write this that you may believe, but he also is writing for their joy. In 2 John, he writes to a church in Asia Minor, and he's writing so that they'll know how to walk in truth and in love in Christ. And then 3 John, he writes to one of his spiritual children, a man named Gaius. And when he writes to Gaius, he's saying, 
really to walk in truth means to walk in love. And we're going to see how that plays out. And we're going to see how that plays out today by talking about well-being and worldview. Well-being at the introduction and the worldview through the rest of our time. So let's read the first four verses of 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Well, God, we pray, Father, that we would be a people who are doing well. God, that our hearts and souls and minds in Christ would be prospering and God that we would be walking in truth if John were to show up at Temple Bible Church today God we pray that we'd be living in such a way that he would have joy because we walk in truth in Jesus name amen well John is writing to a younger man that he loves he's a child in the faith not his literal biological or adopted child but his spiritual child He says, I love you in the truth. And then he prays. He says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So he's praying for the well-being of Gaius. And we got to talk about this verse because it's a verse some of you know well. Most of you that know it well might have heard it in a different translation. But there are people that do weird things with this verse. Some of you have read it just this way, beloved, I pray that it may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Or some of you may have heard or read, beloved, I pray that it may go well with you and that you may prosper even as your soul prospers. And one of the things that people do with this, prosperity gospel teachers take this and say, you can claim this, you can declare this if you pray this with enough faith, then you will have health and wealth all of your life. And if you don't, you're doing it wrong. Well, there, there are a couple of problems with that, right? The, the first is, is this, that God is God and we are not. You can't checkmate God. You can't just declare something and it be. Now, our words matter, but we're not able to declare things. You've heard it in all kinds of ways over the last several decades. Now we hear people using the term manifest to say we can declare it. Well, you can't checkmate God. He's God. There's a second problem with it. John is almost 90 years old and he is writing as an exiled prisoner of the Roman Empire on the Isle of Patmos. So if John's praying this for Gaius, somebody must not be praying it for him, right? Things are are hard for him. But he is doing well. He is prospering in this way because he is able to suffer for the name of Christ. He's doing really, really well. He's writing the story of the incarnation and life and resurrection of Jesus. He's writing letters He's going to write a little bit later about a vision he has we call revelation. So it doesn't work to say, well, you just declare it, and if things aren't going well, there must be a problem with your faith. 
There's another thing you could do, though, that would be the wrong way to do this. And sometimes we've done this. People within the church hear kind of this name it, claim it declaration, go, I'm not doing that, so I just won't pray at all, right? I won't ask for health for anybody. I'll just live this sort of fatalistic idea. Well, that's not correct either. God is sovereign and God is holy and God is good and he is able and delights in answering the prayers of his people. So I think there might be a way that John is aiming for here as he instructs us. It's not not to pray. It's not to declare what will be. I'll tell you how I'm, I'm working this out in my life right now is there's a friend that I'm praying for. Some of you know him. In fact, probably a lot of you do. There's a guy named Mike Hagan, who's one of our elders. And I asked Mike, hey, Mike, can I talk about you? And he said, as long as you make much of Jesus and not me. And I said, I promise I'll do that. Well, Mike, his body is not doing well. He has cancer. His white blood cell count needs to go up. He, he needs to be healthy. And so I'm asking God and others in our body, many of you are asking God, God, would you heal Mike? Would you make him well? But I, I will also tell you, I can pray for Mike. God, would you make him well, like his soul as well? I remember the night that we as a group got a text that Mike was sick. Danny Cunningham, our executive pastor, and I went over to see Mike and Barb the next day, and we thought we were going to minister to them, and, and they ministered to us. Mike, how, how are you doing? How are you guys making it? And Mike, he's just in tears. He goes, oh, I had a great morning, really great time with the Lord. Whatever's coming for me, I know God's God, and we're just going to trust him. We're going to know he's good. We're going to thank him. <laughs> we're just blown away. And he just continues, continues to say this. He's walking as well as anyone with this trust in Jesus Christ. His soul is doing well in the midst of his suffering. And so I'm just unashamedly saying, God, I would love it if Mike was healthy. Would you make him healthy like his soul is healthy? And I'm praying that with this confidence that whether or not Mike gets healthy on this earth, his soul is healthy. I think that's this beautiful thing that John sees and he's rejoicing. I don't know if Gaius is sick or not, but John is rejoicing. Verse 3, he says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. And then John says this, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. When I, when I wrote that down, what I wrote down in my notes is just this, worldview joy. Well, what does that mean? Well, when John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth, he assumes that there is truth, right? We all have a worldview, whether we know it or not. How do people walk in truth? Well, what you believe truth is will determine how one walks in truth, what one believes what's the truth they walk in and maybe more precisely who they worship john doesn't just assume that there is a truth he assumes there is a god well if there is a god what is he like we sang a song about our god who's not distant and far off like like the gods the hindus worship he's not capricious like the greek gods and the roman gods that they were prolific throughout the empire 
See, we've all got a, a worldview. You may have heard that word, worldview, but what in the world does it mean? I'll, I'll tell you, when I was growing up, people would talk about a Christian worldview, and they meant something that I think was missing the mark. And it was this, here's a Christian worldview, it's what I believe, and if you disagree with me about anything, you don't have a Christian worldview. Not just that Jesus is Lord and the Bible's authoritative, but every little detail of the Bible that I believe, it's true, and that's the Christian worldview, and you disagree with me, you got it wrong, you don't have a Christian worldview. The, the problem is that there's really, there's really only been one guy who ever had a consistent and perfect Christian worldview. I'm afraid somebody's sitting out there going, thank God, he knows me, right? <laughs> there's only been one guy that ever had a consistent and right Christian worldview, and we crucified him. He was the only one. What is your worldview? What does that even mean? Well, worldview is this, the foundational ideas and loves that make up your life. Some people think it's just the foundational thoughts or ideas you have, but it's also your loves. Augustine said it this way, if you want to know if a man is good, don't look at what he thinks or what he says, look at what he loves. It's the foundational ideas and loves that make up your life. Now, there's a longer definition that we're going to read and see, but I'm going to tell you I don't remember it. That's why it's going to be on the screen, and you won't either. We'll look at it, but then we'll look at this again because we might can remember this one. So, Lederbach and Lenau, two theologians in their book, Ethics is Worship, they say, we define worldview as a conceptual framework made up of our fundamental beliefs, the rock bottom. These are the things that we believe about the world that will never change. You disagree with me here, I'm out, right? Our fundamental beliefs and loves that then function as the means by which we perceive and interpret and judge reality that also drives how we behave in it. Stated more in terms I can understand the foundational ideas and loves that make up your life. So what does that mean? Well, what's the ideal story you're trying to get back to? What's the story you believe that explains the world and all of its problems? That's what worldview is. Worldview works like this. Worldview is like a box for a jigsaw puzzle. You got all these pieces laid out and unless you have a mean son-in-law, they're all there. And you can look at the box top and go, oh, this is how these pieces are supposed to fit together. Then you're walking along, and you're, yeah, I got a Christian worldview, but man, I really don't like people. Oh, well, that puzzle piece doesn't fit in this worldview. Well, I've got a Christian worldview, but the Bible says this about life, and I don't want to believe that about life. Well, I, that puzzle piece doesn't fit. A worldview is like the box top. It says, here's what this picture looks like, and when you put all these pieces together, here's what they create. So these guys, Lederbach and Lenau, put together this idea of a Christian ethic or a Christian worldview, and they list six things this should flow to. This is what ought to flow out of a Christian worldview. And I, I think as I read their six things, I thought, yeah, I think this might be what John had in mind when he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. So what does a Christian worldview consist of or flow toward? Well, the first thing is that a Christian worldview is centered on Christ. It's Christ-centered. He's the beginning and end of it. He is the center and the shaper of life. 
He's the Lord in this worldview. He's the piece that makes the puzzle fit together. It doesn't go without Him. It won't be beautiful without Him. Everything revolves around Him. He is the blazing center. Christ is the center. The second thing is that a Christian worldview flows from thanksgiving. Well, why? Because we, we know who Jesus is and we know what he's done. We're not a, a people working this out, trying to earn what's right. And our worldview doesn't flow from our goodness, but it flows from the goodness of God. So because we've been redeemed, like Ephesians says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we might receive adoption as sons and love. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his will. He redeemed us by his blood. He sealed us by his spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance that we might be to the praise of his glorious grace. So because of what God has done in us, we live out thanksgiving. So by God's grace... We can think truth about God, orthodoxy. We can, we can walk in the ways of God, orthopraxy, and we can live a life for the praise of God. Doxology, a Christian worldview lives out thanksgiving and praise. Now, a Christian worldview is then also biblically guided. I think this is an important piece of a Christian worldview, but it's also where we go awry. We see biblically guided, and there can be a danger for us. There's the obvious danger of just ignoring the Scripture and going, no. Well, if it's not ordered by Scripture, it's not a Christian worldview. The other danger is to go, well, the Bible believes it, or the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Like each of our understandings of the Scripture is always right all the time. Well, no, we come to the Scripture with humility And we learn from others, even people we disagree with. I know that that's shocking, right? It's biblically guided. The scripture reveals truth about reality and then it reveals truth about how we should live in light of the reality that Jesus is Lord. So it's centered on Christ. It flows from thanksgiving. It's biblically guided and then it is marked by obedient love. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's the first and greatest commandment. According to Jesus, he said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Talk to your kids about this. And then there are all these commands that flow out of this obedient love. We believe there's a God and we want to love him. And then we follow his commands in love for the people he's created in his image. So Christian worldview is marked by love. So the the irony then is that sometimes we, we, if we've seen them at all, people talk about worldview. Sometimes people who talk about worldview are the most argumentative people in the world. Well, they're struggling with a Christian worldview if they're not loving. Christian worldview is marked by love. A Christian worldview is enthusiastic about growth together. Stated another way, because Jesus did, because Jesus built this church, because he loves this church, a Christian worldview is excited about growth together in the realm of the local church because God has given 
leaders to the church, servants in the church, so that we might be equipped for ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says it another way, that that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the Bible, Christ himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord that together, the Christian worldview says together, we're growing to be conformed into the image of Christ. And then a Christian worldview is mission-directed. It's mission-oriented. Personal love for God, according to Scripture, leads to helping others know God. In the context of our world, the great commandment and the second like it leads to the great commission. Well, 21 years ago, my wife and I moved to Temple. We were not moving to be on staff at Temple Bible Church, and I wouldn't be on staff at Temple Bible Church for several years. It was one of the places that we were going to visit. And I tell you, we were trying to live Christ-centered lives. We're trying to live lives that flowed from Thanksgiving and we wanted to find some things in a church and we walked in Temple Bible Church and it was very evident that Bible was our middle name as it still is. Because what we heard in home groups, in Sunday school classes, and from right up here was the Bible being taught, the Bible being authoritative, the Bible being our guide, what we sat under and were shaped by. It was biblically guided. And then it was marked by this obedient love that was enthusiastic about growth. I remember hearing my first Sunday, hey, if you guys are new here, you gotta get in a small group. If you guys are new here, you gotta get in a small group. If you guys are new here, you gotta get in a small group. Four or five times, and so eventually we did. And when we did, what we found is that there were couples and singles just like us who are growing in Christ together. And we've seen that happen over and over and over in our own lives, in the lives of others. And then there was this big map in the back, and it was really evident that this church loved missions. And we were growing in our love for missions, and we said, man, that's the kind of place we want to be. Where a Christian worldview, not perfectly, but certainly by God's grace in growing fashion, is being lived out in front of us. That'll change our lives. Christian worldview has to be directed toward mission because Christ is at the center and Jesus is Lord. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's risen from the dead. He tells his disciples, go and make disciples of the nations, teaching them everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. So walking in truth means Christ is at the center. And that we're living out thanksgiving. Walking in truth means the scripture is our guide. It points us to Christ and guides our lives. So we're gonna love one another. We're gonna grow together and we have a mission. See, mission is tied to what John is telling his friend Gaius, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do. Look at verse five. What is the faithful thing he does? 
It's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. So there are people that Gaius doesn't really know well. Verse 6, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So there are missionaries that have gone out. They're going out into unreached areas of the Roman Empire, and they're sharing the good news about Jesus. And Gaius, though he does not know them well, is supporting them. See, there's this beauty and this difficulty when the church does missions well is that there are people that we support that we hear of, but we don't all get to know well. But there are two things in these two verses that I think I want to focus on. First, they've gone out for the sake of the name. Well, how is missions about a Christian worldview? Because missions wants Christ to be at the center of everything, the glory of Jesus among all the nations. Christ proclaimed where he's not proclaimed local churches to exist, where the local church doesn't exist. Missions is about worship. The second is that when we support, when we pray, when we send, we are fellow workers for the truth. I knew the church loved missions, and somewhere along the way I heard somebody say, 20% of all you give to general fund at Temple Bible Church goes to missions. And I was blown away. And then six years later, I became the missions pastor, and I got to see how those gifts go out into the nations. And when they do, we're fellow workers for the truth. So here's the reality, not all of you will get the privilege of meeting Pavel, who's preached here, and his wife, Luva. I wish that you could. I wish that you could sit around his dinner table and learn the wisdom from God that this man has. I wish that you could taste Luba's cooking. I'm happy that I can in your stead. But decades ago, Pavel started a church in a little town in Ukraine and, and this church grew and then they planted a church and then they planted another and then another and now there are six churches in and around their city that are making much of Jesus Christ together. Some of you know Pavel and Luba. Most of you don't have the privilege of knowing them, but here's what we know. When we pray for them and when we give to them, we're fellow workers for the truth. Then there's Salatio and Mary Rose and Tsingyumba. And what, what you need to know, their partnership, it's really amazing. Danny and I, we're, we're praying, as a missions pastor, we're praying for partnership in Central Africa. And we talked to our friend Celestin about partnership in Central Africa. He says, yeah, I have some people in mind. Uh, I'll mention them to you. And we're praying for this. And he calls his brother-in-law who's sitting on top of a mountain in the Basse region of Rwanda overlooking villages where he's planting churches. And he's praying that God would provide partners. And Celestin calls, says, there, there, there's some people in central Texas that might want to talk to you. And God answered his prayer and answered our prayer. And Salatio and Mary Rose, what you need to know about Mary Rose is I'm her favorite. 
That's, that's, not, that's not what you need. The most loving, kind, sweetest lady in the world. And you know she's patient if I'm her favorite. Because they started planting churches in the Basse region of Rwanda. And now in surrounding villages, there are 12 churches that exist. And we get to partner with these people. Salatio will hold conferences where he trains pastors all over Rwanda. Pavel and the other pastors in Belyat Circa hold conferences to train pastors from all over every region of Ukraine. They've raised up young people who love the nations and they will have conferences training them to go and do missions. Nathan and Kristen Henson and their boys, Nathan and Kristen, both doing successful medical work in the States when God called them to go to Cusco, Peru. And this family, over more than a decade, has suffered for the gospel in a variety of ways. And they just remain steadfast so that the impoverished of Cusco will have excellent medical care so that fatherless children will have a place where people can care for them. And so the Wecha tribe of Peru can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the church can grow among them. Then last, we could do this for a really long time, is Ashley Butte, one of my family's favorite people in the world. If you've got a daughter who is a senior in high school or maybe a little bit below and you've been at Temple Bible Church for a little while, you know Ashley. Because Ashley just took this group of girls and loved them and encouraged them in the Lord and walked with them. She served in Sea Life in our college ministry. She was part of the missions group that we had in our home. And Ashley went to Japan for one summer and and came home and she was never going to be the same. I've got to go back and I've got to go a long time. So Ashley has gone and learned Japanese, which I hear can be difficult. And she's made friends in her city. And she's connected to a church that's there. And she is sharing the gospel of Jesus in her very life with the people of Japan. And John says to Gaius what the word says to us. They've gone out for the sake of the name. And we support people like this because we get to be fellow workers for the truth. I mean, can you, can you imagine stuff that we don't need anymore is going to get sold this weekend? And the gospel's going to go out. And John says, support people like these. But there, there's a problem in their church, though. There is a guy who does not want to support people like these, and he is frustrating the work of the ministry the church is doing. His worldview witness is not consistent. His name is Diotrephes. Verses 9 and 10 say this, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. He's rejecting the apostles' teaching. He's rejecting the eyewitness testimony that Jesus is Lord. He's rejecting that the men who lived and walked with Jesus have a message from God. Can you, can you imagine? He likes to put himself first. Verse 10 says this about him. He says, if I come, I'll bring up 
what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. John is welcoming these missionaries in. Diotrephes says he'll have none of it. He also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. He's, he's divisive. He's divisive. See, Diotrephes, he might be the guy that says, you know, my view is the Christian worldview. John disagrees with me. You don't listen to him. I don't care that he was an eyewitness. I don't care that he walked with Jesus. Don't listen to him. He loves to be first. When, when you hear this, all kinds of things might jump into your mind. What, what comes to my mind is there's a guy named Ben Stewart. He is the pastor of Passion City Church in Washington, D.C., and he did our men's conference. And one night before he did our men's conference, he was meeting with some of us and someone asked him about difficulties he faced. And he said, people who, who don't want to serve, who don't realize the value of service. Somebody said, what do you mean? He said, well, I had a guy come in a few weeks ago and said, hey man, how can I serve here? And he said, I looked over my shoulder. There's a guy stacking chairs. I said, you, could, you serve right now. You can help him stack chairs. He said, I'm pointing over my shoulder and an FBI agent stacking chairs. And the guy goes, no, 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 I just do the big stuff. He said, so he didn't want to stack chairs. I thought I'd show him something big. He said, there's a guy mopping the floor. You can help him mop the floor. He says, secret service agent mopping the floor. No, 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 man, I just do the big stuff. I want to preach. And he said, well, first preaching isn't the big stuff, right? Everything we do matters. And second, we don't have a spot for you. And I heard that and I thought that never happened at Temple Bible Church until somebody said to me, hey, Chase, I want to preach. And I offered this opportunity and this opportunity, this opportunity, this opportunity to serve. And here's what you know. You talk to people, whether they're in the outback, whether they're in the launch pad, whether they're at Creekside, I hope if, if you were to ask them what's the most important ministry at Temple Bible Church, they'd say, what I'm doing every Sunday, what I'm doing on Wednesday nights. I get to drive kids to make much of Jesus Christ. You ask the deacons the most important ministry we do on Sunday morning, they're going to say making coffee, and we'll all say amen, right? Listen, here's what Diotrephes has done, and we've got to be careful because we've all got a little bit of Diotrephes in us, truth be known. We all matter. We all are used to build up the body of Christ. We all do so as an act of worship. And the puzzle turns into this beautiful thing. But here's what Diotrephes is doing. He's going, no, 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 I'm the piece that's going to make this all work. And he's taking selfishness, self-interest, self-centeredness, and he's just jamming it into this puzzle. He's just shoving it into the puzzle, and it doesn't fit. And do you know what is on the center of his puzzle piece? You know what his puzzle piece looks like? It just says me. It just says me. See, we all matter to God. We've all got a place in the church. But if we try to insert ourselves in the center of what God is doing here or what God is doing anywhere well, we've lost Christ as a sinner. We're living in pride instead of thanksgiving. We're ignoring the teaching of the scripture. We're not living out obedient love. We're not marked by growth. That's an immature statement for a Christian to make, and we're not interested in mission. There's no room 
for my pride in a Christian worldview. And so John says, there's someone else you ought to look at. He says, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And then he starts telling them about this guy named Demetrius. My best friend and I were in college. We read 3 John together, and one summer we prayed, Lord Jesus, make us like Demetrius, not like Diotrephes. (laughs) We prayed that all summer long because we knew just how selfish we were and how it's only a supernatural work of the grace of God that can transform us into people who are marked by obedient love. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. The very truth of Scripture testifies to his life being authentic. And John says, we add our testimony, and you know our testimony is true. Don't imitate evil, imitate good. From the truth itself, how do we know what a Christian worldview looks like? I think with Jesus and with Paul, we ought to be able to ask, well, what do you see? Do we see a Christ-centered life that's overflowing with thanksgiving that is submissive to the scripture that is marked by love for God and by love for people? Do we see a life that is directed on mission together with God's people? Don't imitate evil, imitate good and the truth itself will testify to your life in Christ. John says, in closing, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. He says, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. John wants to come see these people because he loves them. See, this Christian worldview, it's just marked by love for one another. It's marked by our unity together in Christ. I want to come see you. They were walking in truth. They were surrendered to Jesus. They loved the scripture. They were together sending out people for the sake of the name. They had community. And John's concern was that this guy might divide or break up or mess up their community. And then they were on mission together, I, I looked, where are these churches at? Where did Gaius serve? And I, I looked and I couldn't find it, but I'm pretty sure if you looked at the translation, it would say Asia Minor Bible Church. See, here's, here's what I, I bet about their church. I bet they didn't have a missions garage sale. And I bet they didn't have impact Bible clubs. But you can bet that they took their resources and they put them together to send people out for the sake of the name. And you can bet that the children in their villages and in the villages around theirs were hearing about this King Jesus because they were walking in truth to magnify him. So John said, I want to come see you because God made them to be beautiful together. So you might, you might be new here and you might go, where do I fit? And what I want you to hear is there is a place for you. 
Here's a place for you. It might be driving. It might be hosting. It might be bringing food. It might be serving in the launch pad. It might be serving at the outback. It might be in a small group where you're walking together with couples and singles and you're growing in Christ together, being built up in love, being made into something beautiful. I just ask if you thought about the box top of your ideas and loves and your life, what makes up your worldview? Is it working out for you? Do you know that Jesus needs to be at the center of it? That's really the only way that works out. Can we just ask today, I really hope if John came and looked around, I hope his testimony about us would be, I have no greater joy than this and to see that my children are walking in truth. So can I just pray that for 2023, that would be true of us. Can we ask that together this morning? God, I pray that it would be well with us, that we would be doing well, and that indeed our souls would be doing well. And God, I pray, Father, that even more than the Apostle John, God, that you might look and see the work of your Spirit in us and that it might bring you joy that we're walking in truth. So God, help us to continue to have Bible as our middle name and walk in the truth that is in Jesus Christ. God, help us grow in our love for one another, Father, as we seek to be a community on mission. And God, let it always be true of us that we are fellow workers for the truth as we send and support people who are going out for the sake of the name. God, help us not to be marked by evil, but to be marked by good. And help us to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.